0: First Peter chapter 1, 13 through twenty one is where we are uh, today. And so, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles provided in the seats here. And if you don't have one back at home, take one of those Bibles home, and it's our gift to you. First Peter one thirteen through twenty one is where we're going to be uh, soon enough. Uh, it's a very big travel week. Uh, Boston Public School just finished this past Wednesday with all the snow days at the end of the school year added on, and uh, July 4th is this coming Friday, and so it's a, it's a big travel week, and it's also a sign that summer is officially upon us, and here's what that means for us as a church on Jesus's mission. It means that people are outside, people are happy because the snow has melted, and people are ready to connect, and so I want to encourage us, church family, to utilize this season uh, to really get to know your neighbors, get to know your community Break out the grill with your neighbors, uh, go to the community events, all kinds of community events happening around uh, the area. I would encourage you to check out the Roslindale Farmers Market if you haven't already done that every Saturday. In the morning, uh, over here, right at our parking lot, right next door here, the West Roxbury Farmer's Market is just kicking off this year on Center Street, right after church every Sunday, and so if you want to go check that out, it'll be a good time. You can get your bike tuned up for free today, but listen, here's how we have made an impact in our community, and here's how we're going to continue to make an impact in our community, and that is us as God's people living out our faith out there. And so we will gather several times throughout the week like this and in, in connection groups and in discipleship groups. And we will encourage each other and we will rally the troops and we will uh, be strengthened, rejuvenated through worship and through the word. But then we will scatter so we gather and we scatter and we gather and we scatter and we don't go to church. We are the church, whether it's in here or it's out there. Now, we're on this summer long journey through the book of First Peter and we've talked about how this book is a letter to, to Christians who have been persecuted and who have been suffering and are continuing to, to suffer. And they've been pushed out of the epicenter, Jerusalem, and they have now been scattered throughout the surrounding regions and now moving out into Uh, the entire known world at that day. And that word scattered is not my word, it's actually a a Bible word. In Acts chapter 7, we've seen already through this series that that we have our very first Christian martyr who died for the faith, his name was Stephen, and then right after that, in the next verse, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, it says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all, what's the word? They were all scattered throughout the regions of Jerusalem, and Samaria, except the apostles. And so this persecution that came upon Stephen and and came upon the the, the very first early church there, it it began this great scattering of Christians all over the world, which as you will read the history books, you will see led to the explosive growth of the Christian movement because they weren't isolated to one location. Now they're all over the the globe. And we need to see something very important. If you want to look at that verse, uh, something very important is that they were all scattered And then the last three words of that verse, except the apostles. And so the early explosion of the message of Jesus was not because of great Christian leaders, was not because of great preachers of the word or pastors or trained missionaries. No, the early explosion of the Christian movement was because of the scattering and the mobilization of average, ordinary Christians full of God the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're praying is going to happen this summer. Not that the leadership of this church would do good ministry. Not that the missions teams that come from all over the country to work with us throughout the summers would do good ministry. But that you would scatter all over our city and do great work for the glory of God and for the good of people. That would bring about the transformation of our city. And so let's pray for that. Would you join me in praying for that throughout the course of our summer, that we would intentionally be on the mission of Jesus. And that's what happens as these Christians that we see in the book of 1 Peter, uh, that's what happens as we see them live out what Peter has called them to. He gives them the word of God spoken by Peter. He tells them, I want you to cling to the hope of Jesus. He tells them, I want you to be distinct in in a foreign land where you have been scattered. You are called to be sojourners. You are called to be exiles, in other words, you're living as if this place isn't your home, this place isn't your final destination. You're passing through and you're going to make every second count, and as a result, history tells us that the world was forever changed because they lived out this book, and we want to live out this book. And the big idea that we see this morning in the scripture that we're looking at is this. It's be holy. The call is to be Be holy. And again, history tells us the Christians lived this out, scattered as they were, and the world was forever changed. And now it's our day, and it's our turn, and it's our responsibility to represent Christ well. And so let's read our scripture for today, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. It's a great passage. It's a rich passage. And right in the middle of the passage is this command to be Holy. And it's not just this isolated command. It's given 900 times throughout the entire Bible. And the call is for us as God's people to be distinct, to be different from everyone else around us, to to stand out, to be holy. And verse 15 says, Since it is written, past, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He's quoting the Old Testament law, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 that it has been written that you shall be holy as God is holy. Now, what does it mean to be holy? Because I think a lot of people probably have varying ideas as to what it means to be holy. Well, first of all, we need to understand that holiness is the chief attribute of God. In the Old Testament, he is called holy. He is called holy one. He is called holy one of Israel. And and, and the primary Old Testament word for holy means to to cut or to, to, to separate that which is unholy, and that which is holy, to, to say that God is separate and, and, and distinct from anything that is impure, that is unclean. He is holy. He is perfect. He is pure. He is the absolute standard of moral perfection and, and purity of, of character. And so I often think about this idea of cutting and as cheesy, literally, as this may be, I think about cheese, you know, and then when when there's, you know, the mold on the cheese, and you don't want to eat that, and so you kind of cut it off, and you separate, this is clean, and this is kind of nasty, and uh, I think about that, but then we get into the New Testament, and Jesus says, Let me, here, here's, a, here's an illustration for you, he says, let's think about it like light, there is this nuance in, in the word that speaks to, to light, that holiness is is, is, is light, that God is radiant, that God is majestic, that he is bright and he is pure. He is the light of the world and he's called us to be the light of the world, to be like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, where weary travelers come to seek refuge and we have hope. We have the hope of, of, of Jesus Christ. There's this element, this nuance of understanding that he is holy, he is light. And, and throughout the scriptures, there's this constant expectation that God's people also be holy. We'd be cut off, that we would uh, be light, we would be separate, we would be very clearly dis- distinct in, in our lives. And holiness in the, the Old Testament kind of has these two different angles. There's the external holiness, the ceremonial, the, the, the physical, that we are to, to do these things in the Old Testament. And then there's also this element of the, the internal, the moral, the, the spiritual, the holiness within the heart. And as we get into the New Testament, Jesus really hones in on this true kind of holiness that, that comes out of the heart. But what we see throughout the narrative of the Old Testament, perhaps even likely the narrative of your own life, is that we try and we try and we try to, to be holy, but we fail in our attempts at holiness, don't we? You ever feel that? Just, I, I try to honor you, God. I try to live in a way that would, would please you, but I just fail, right? And again, here in the New Testament, we have it, the, the call to be holy for he is, is holy. And with that, our, our failures at holiness in our minds, how do we react to that command? When you hear the command, well, be holy, what do you do? Maybe like me, you just say, um, impossible. <laughs> and that, you know, that's kind of appropriate. I mean, how could we possibly ever touch God's holiness? It's, it, it is an impossible command. Without Christ. It's impossible without Christ. But notice the first word of our passage. Look at verse 13. Here's what it says Therefore. Therefore. And so, what is the therefore, therefore? The preceding 12 verses we've been looking at for the past few weeks, they're talking about the hope of the gospel, the hope of the the good news of Jesus, the truth that Romans chapter 323 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so when it comes to being holy as he is holy, we fall short of his glory, of who he is and his, his holiness. But then in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it tells us the mystery that has been hidden for all the ages. All the people of the Old Testament past were trying to have that external holiness and even trying to have that inward holiness. They're struggling and they're failing. And there's this mystery. There's this missing element. But now has been revealed to the saints, Colossians chapter 1 will tell us, and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we can be holy. How? Christ in you. In us is our only hope of glory, our only hope of meeting the standard of God that we have fallen short of, the glory. And Jesus, in his great grace to us, has done for us what we could never do. He lived a life that we could never, never live. And so Christians are not these holy snobs that look down their nose at other people and say, look at me, I'm holy, I'm better than everybody else. I got to go save my neighbors because they're dirty, rotten sinners and I'm awesome. That's not it at all. In fact, Christians are people who have humbly recognized I'm sinful. I'm messed up. Jesus, on the other hand, is perfect and he has granted me his great grace. So Christians are not holier than thou. No, it is Christ in us, our only hope of glory. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but Christ in us is our hope of glory. Now, In preaching, when I approach a passage like today, I have to do so with great caution. Because we're given this massive command, be holy. And my fear in preaching a message like this is that you would leave and you would say, yes, I'm going to go be holy. I'll do that. I can do that. I'll go be holy. But listen carefully. The commands of the Christian life begin with, therefore, You might want to write that one down. The commands of the Christian life begin with therefore. We do not jump into 13 through 21 apart from 1 through 12. Apart from the good news of Jesus that we've been looking very closely at for the past few weeks. Because of the message of Jesus, we are holy. And because of what Jesus has done and what he has given to us in himself, the Holy Spirit, now we can pursue holy living. Therefore, be holy. And as we study this idea of holiness, we need to understand that there's holiness in position and there's holiness in practice. Position and practice. So positionally, anyone who has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for them what we could never do for ourselves in his perfect life and his death for our sin positionally you are holy you are made holy because you've trusted in what jesus has done and so when god the father looks at you he doesn't see all your sin he looks at you and he sees jesus christ in you your hope of glory you should let that free you that should be a weight off of your shoulders That you are not bogged down by the weight of sin and shame any longer. You are holy in God's eyes. There is no stain that is upon you. Now, you must practice what you are in position. Does that make sense? There's this old old kind of parable out there about, about this king who goes out into his kingdom undercover and he sees this boy kind of playing out in the mud and he then takes this boy in and adopts him as his son. He says, this boy is poor. He needs me. He adopts him as his son. And now this boy is royalty, right? He's royalty. He's, he's a noble. But when he gets to the dinner table, he's still eating like he's not a noble. He's slapping around. He's all messy. He's not living it out. Positionally, he's the son of the king. Practically, in the way he lives his life, he's just a mess, right? That's how we are. Positionally, we are holy. But now we have to now work out, live out holiness that God has called us to. We must Pursue practical holiness. Not to earn God's favor. It's already there. You are his child. But you want to honor him. And you want to represent him well. You want to live as a child of God in light of all that he has done for you. You want to honor the Lord with your life. You want to represent him well wherever it is that you are scattered. That's holiness in in practice. Now, let's, let's break down... The rest of our passage surrounding the command of 15 and 16, let's look at the other verses. And I want to show you three things that that you need to know with regards to practical holiness. And I want this to uh, just be an encouragement to you and and will really also be a challenge to you. And so if you're a note taker, I would encourage you, this is a great time to to take some notes. Here is the first of, of three things that you need to know in terms of practical holiness. The first one is you need to have right thinking for holiness. Verses 13 and 14, let's check it out again. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And so, we need to have right thinking for for holiness. In order to live out a lifestyle of holiness as we are in position, we have to get our minds in, in the right place. And there are a few specific things that Peter will mention to us here with regards to our minds and and holiness. First thing he says is this. He says, I want you to prepare your minds for action. If you go to the original Greek language here, some of your translations might even read it this way, that you are to to gird up the loins of your your mind. Now, what in the world does that mean, to gird up the loins of your your mind? Like, mind, loins, two different places in my body. I'm trying to figure this out. First of all, let's understand a little bit about the Jewish attire in the day. Jewish person would have worn a tunic, right, long flowing robe. And a man's would have been about knee length and a woman's would have been ankle length, which is kind of opposite of what we do today. But um, anyhow, and so they'd have this long tunic. And if they were wearing an undergarment, not always did they, but if they were, they would wear this thing called a loin cloth. And then, around the waist, they would put on a girdle made of leather or, or, or made of cloth and If they were getting ready to work or if they were getting ready to go to battle or if they were getting ready to, to move fast or to go on a journey, they would gird up their loins, which meant they would tuck in all the loose clothing into their their girdle they would cinch up the girdle, make it really tight so that it wasn 't flowing as much, it would cinch it up really tight and, and, and then they would uh, they would gird up their Loin, so when they're working, they're not tripping all over their, their their tunic. Excess wasn't getting in the way. And in the Bible, as you read through different parts of the Bible, you'll see that a, a loose girdle meant that you were being lazy or you were just simply resting, as we all need to do. But if you tightened your girdle up, that meant that you were getting ready for for work. It might be the equivalent of uh, some sayings that we have today, like "roll up your sleeves." Right? I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to get ready for for work. Or or you know, I don't know. Pull your hair back, right? Some of you, you pull your hair back and you're ready to, to exercise or whatever it is that you do. And, and when Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind, he's saying, you need to prepare your minds for work. You need to ready your minds, get your head in the game, let's get to work with your, your mind. It means that when it comes to holiness, that we are not to be mentally passive. We are to be instead very deliberate when it comes to Holiness. So let me ask you, for for many of you, like myself, there's just sins that immediately come to mind for you, that you have historically struggled with. How have you prepared your mind to fight them? How have you girded up the loins of your mind to fight them? Has it just been passive, like, I apologize, God, I'm sorry, I confess my sin to you, I don't ever want to do that again, and then you go about your life? Or are you deliberate? Are you girding up the loins of your, your, your mind? Have you found somebody to, to give you help? Maybe they've struggled with this same sin, this temptation themselves, and maybe they can help you. Have you maybe been very intentional with finding somebody to hold you accountable? We've got to do drastic things if we want to be very serious about our sin and dealing with it because we want to represent Christ well. We want to honor Christ well. We're not doing it to earn his favor. We're doing it because we love him. We want to reflect him very well. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. (laughs) What? I never sang that song as a kid, right? (laughs) If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. (laughs) Never. But extreme, because we want to honor the Lord. We want to live for him. If it's lust and, and pornography, what have you done? Practically, not just, I don't want to do that again. You put some software on your computer. Have you told somebody, got some help, get people to help you out? If it's gossip, have you given somebody else permission? Hey, when I start going there again with my mouth, stop it. Don't, I mean, you got to, let's be practical here. Prepare your minds, be deliberate. You should be able to identify what have I done? How have I rolled up my sleeves to get ready? For holiness. And it's so important to see what what Peter does here when he's talking about holiness. He doesn't just go straight to the physical, does he? Hey, clean up your act. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He goes to the mind. Why? Because he hung around Jesus long enough to know that the outworking of our sin always starts in the mind, right? So when it came to adultery, what did Jesus say? He didn't say, stop sleeping with other people that aren't your spouse. What did he say? He said, if you look lustfully at a woman who's not yours, you've already sinned. You've already committed adultery. He starts with the mind. And Peter is starting with the mind, right? He begins with the mind. And so the next thing he says is he says, be sober-minded. Well, what does it mean to, to be sober? Well, I know what it means not to be sober. What does it mean to be sober? It means to have control, right, of yourself, right? And one of the fruits of the Spirit is, Galatians chapter 5 is self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If God, the Holy Spirit is in you, one of the things he wants to grant you is is the ability to have self-control, to to grab a hold of your thought life, to to, to control it. Do do you just think about holiness in, in terms of the things that you physically do? Do you think about holiness simply in terms of the things that That people see you do? Oh, it's so much more than that, isn't it? It's about what you do when nobody's looking. It's about what's happening in your mind when nobody can see into your mind. Nobody's Superman. Holiness. He says, be sober-minded. Have control over your mind. And the last thing that he tells us about the mind is he says, I want you to set your hope. Set your hope fully on the grace that we've brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you're going to fix your mind on anything, fix your mind on the hope, the grace that you're going to have when you see Jesus, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about the return of Christ. The Bible says that Christ is either going to come back for us before we die and leave this place, or we're going to die and we're going to see him face to face. And he says, set your hope on that. It's not a bad thing, man. I don't want to die. It's a great thing. That's why the Apostle Paul says, listen, I would rather go be with him right now But if God's got a mission for me, I'll I'll stay here. He says, put your hope on that. That's why we sing Christ alone, right? No guilt in life, no fear in death. It's Jesus. I got Jesus. Set your hope on that day. Is that something you're thinking about often? Are you thinking about the fact that you're going to see him one day face to face, and suddenly it's all going to come clear for you. You're going to have great perspective when you see him face to face. It's going to be easy to discern. You need to ask yourself the question that if Jesus were to show up today, would I want him to find me living like this? That's a tough one to ask. If he were to show up and sit with you, would he be watching what you're watching? be doing the things with himself that you're doing? Be very, very mindful of that. Now, at the same day, time, let me say for you this, Christians. If you're a Christian, it's a wonderful day when he shows up and you see him face to face. It's a, it's a wonderful day. He is not going to shame you. He's not. Let me say, uh, Peter's word here, his first word that he, he goes to is the word grace. The grace that will be revealed. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So for Christians, the return of Jesus is a good day. In fact, Christians... Every day from that day forward it will always be a good day when you see him face to face. We have some good days and some bad days. Every day from that day forward is going to be an amazing day. Set your hope on that and get your mind ready for that. And when you do that, holy living will just kind of come as a result of that. In in, in verse 14, you won't be living in the the same struggles and the same sin patterns that you were before coming to, to Christ. Instead, You'll gladly obey God, and you'll live as obedient children. It's, it's right thinking for holiness. That, I'm going to see Jesus face to face. He sees me right now, even if I don't physically see him. And I want to live in a way that honors him, and it's a way to fix your mind and, and train yourself and your mind for holiness. The second thing I want us to see in regards to practical holiness is records of holiness records of holiness. And in verse 17, let's, let's check this out. It says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And so he says, For those of us who are obedient children to God, our father, we will know that he judges impartially everyone according to their deeds. Now, here's what we need to understand. All of humanity will be judged according to their deeds. All of humanity. The book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it reveals to us what is to come as John gets this great glimpse of what's to come. And and listen to chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. I want to read this to you. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. And from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, He was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow. And so here's what it tells us it tells us that all who die will eventually, at the end of human history, stand before this great white throne of judgment. And we will be judged. That's the reality. And it says, people will stand before him, great and small. So that means rich and poor, powerful and powerless. Men, women, good, bad, by the world standards, we're all going to stand before him. And it says that books were opened. In Daniel chapter 7, which is like the, the revelation of the Old Testament, it tells us there that, that books are open. So it's not just this isolated, it's, it's, it's what's going to happen. And in these books are records of everyone's deeds. Everything. Oh, man. Records of everything. Can you imagine what is written in there about my life and your life? And we're judged based on what's in the books, right? We're judged based on what's in there. Unless you're a Christian and you've trusted in Jesus. That's why Romans 8, chapter 1 will say something that is so amazingly freeing. It says that there is now, therefore, no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because it's Christ in you. And if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Your hope of glory is not how good you were. Because that book of deeds is not going to reveal anything beautiful in the picture of who God is. There's no condemnation. Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. It's Christ in us. The the hope of glory. Our sins were put on Jesus and he died for them. He closed the coffin of our, our sins. He resurrected a life, leaving all that mess behind, and we are free now. And so, there's another book that if that's you and you trusted in Jesus, your name might be in this book. It's called the Book of Life, Revelation 2012, we'll call it. And if your name is in the book, you are freed from the eternal judgment of your sin. And so, while everyone else is having to call to account their sin and their Deeds, both good and, and much more bad, we can stand and say, My name is in one book, and that's what matters. If there's one book that matters. It's because of what Jesus has done. Now, as a Christian, however, we are judged according to the good deeds in the book. Not that those good deeds will then make us right with God and get us into heaven, but those deeds of holiness, they do count, right? because they were done in Christ, Christ in you, you in him. And so those books do count. And so when Peter speaks about God's judgment and and having fear through exile, the time that you are on this earth, he's saying we will live in fear of that day. And not the scary kind of fear, but the awe and the reverence and the respect of the day that those books will be open. And he's going to look and see the deeds that we have done in holiness. You don't have to be fearful of all the past stuff if you trusted in Jesus, but the things that are done in holiness and have uh, seriousness regards to that. I want to fill that book up. There are rewards for that, and, and it's what I have to eternally worship the Lord with is what I've done on this earth. And so we're judged, but we're judged Christians positively, rewarded for deeds done in holiness. What an amazing gift. And Peter wants to point that out to us. And so, right thinking for holiness. And, and records of holiness. And then lastly, we need to see the reason for holiness. So look with me at 18 through 21. 18 through 21. It says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways in which you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God, not self. So what's the reason for holiness? Jesus is the reason for holiness. And I love how Peter strategically bookends. He wraps up this command, be holy. It's Jesus, the gospel, 1 through 12, therefore be holy, and then Jesus. Just so you're clear, it's it's Jesus, right? What is our reason for pursuing holiness? What is our reason for seeking to be distinct and and different and not conforming to the patterns of the world, as he'll, he'll later say? It's Jesus, right? And what does he tell us that Jesus did? He says he paid the ransom is what he gives us. That we were in captivity to Satan and to sin and to death from the futile ways of our forefathers, this pattern of human history that we just keep sinning and it's just a cycle everyone will inevitably be in. But he has come and he's, he's ransomed us, he's rescued us, he's redeemed us, he's bought us out of this cycle with his death. What was the price? Millions of dollars? No. Peter says it wasn't silver or, or gold, those are perishable, he says. He says the cost was the precious blood of God. That was, the, that was the cost. Jesus died. And he says, and it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an afterthought. He says, no, this is God's carefully executed, well-thought-out plan that was set in motion before the foundations of the world, and you and I live in a generation where we benefit from it, Right? That's why, as we saw earlier in the chapter, that the apostles are, and, and the prophets and the angels long to know fully what we know. But we live in this amazing day where we fully benefit and we get to know fully the grace of Jesus. And so what is the reason for your holiness? Is it simply for the reward that you get? No, that's going to be amazing. Those deeds done in holiness and the reward that comes from that. But the reason is Jesus, that he deserves a life, of devotion. He gave it all. 1 Corinthians chapter 6.20 says, You were bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So Peter says it's a ransom that was paid for your life. The greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. He died for you. If somebody died for you on this earth... You would live a life in such a way that you just honored that person however you possibly could. You would get to know their family and let them know how grateful you somebody jumped in front of a bus out here for you. You do everything that you can to live a life that honors that person. But yet with Jesus, wholeness oftentimes seems to take a back seat for many. We gotta live for him because he died for us. We gotta take holy living seriously. Not so that we can feel better about ourselves. So often I talk to Christians and it's like, yeah, I'm I'm doing really good. It feels great. It's not about feeling good about yourself, it's about living such a way so that you can honor the Lord for Him, for Him and His glory. It's not so that you can earn His favor. That was all given, unmerited. We do what we do because we're grateful out of thanks for him, out of appreciation for what he's done to glorify him, to represent him well to the world who also needs to know him. Now, here's where it all falls apart. It all falls apart if we leave saying, you're right, now I'm going to go be holy. That's where it all falls apart, right? You live holy on your own which is obviously something you couldn't have done in the first place, right? That's why we needed him. And so if you say, I'm going to go live holy on my own, you got it messed up. We walk in holiness. How? Colossians 1, with Christ in us. It's that mystery. That we can now live holy. We can live godly because Christ is in us. God, the Holy Spirit, has taken up residence in our lives and he gives us the strength and we get to lean on him and we get to be fueled by him and we get to execute the commands of God because he has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Not because we're good in and of ourselves but because he is now indwelling us. And so here's how we close. I I close by asking the Christians in the room this. Have you been struggling with holy living? As, As the Bible says, has your sin been grieving the Holy Spirit who is inside of you. You're not living in, in holiness. God's intention today is not to shame you. to say, you might as well just give up. It's not his intention at all. His intention is to say, cling to the grace that's to be revealed. His intention is to say, prepare your minds. Let's, let's do this. You can do this because I'm in you. Confess your sin patterns to him. And now, in his grace, walk forward in power. Let this be a turning point for you. Yes, you're a a follower of Jesus. you placed faith in Jesus. But now it's time to really live a life of holiness, to honor him, and to represent him well. And if you're not a Christian in this room, maybe maybe this morning you're, you're just hearing the depth of God's grace that has been extended to you. And now it's beginning, for the first time, to feel irresistible. I just can't. Not respond to him. I would encourage you to, to call out to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and he wants to grant you that. I would encourage you to say, Be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you all the days of my life and become a Christian. Not because you're good enough, but because he is, and he's done for you what you can never do for yourself, and you give him your heart. So I want to pray to that end. I want to pray for those who need to give their life to Jesus today. Today's the day. And for those of you, you've given your life to Jesus, but you're living in this, this sin pattern. Not that we don't all sin, but you're not living a life of holiness. You're not being deliberate about, I want to honor the Lord, and I want to lift you up as well. And So let's, let's pray to our Lord. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for your word. God, I pray this morning for Christians in the room that they would see the serious call of God to live a life of holiness. God, I pray that you would give them right thinking for holiness. They, even as we respond in song, would prepare their minds for action. They would roll up their sleeves and say, I want to live for Jesus. I want to be intentional about honoring him. They would take some practical steps today. That they would think about the fact that there's records being taken of all the things they do for you and that's what they have to worship you with for all eternity. And they would picture seeing you face to face one day. And God, I pray that they would do it because of the reason and that is Jesus. They would live out your commands and holiness by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And for those in here today who have never given their lives to Jesus, I commit them to you, Father. pray that right now they would call upon the name of the Lord. pray that right now your grace would be so heavy on their hearts. They cannot resist you. They would say yes to you. They would turn from sin. They would turn to you. You'd become a Christian, child of God. I thank you for all of this that you have done for us, your people. We love you. and pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.